0: Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most informational, educational, and entertaining podcast for auto detailers. Welcome to the community. Hi, welcome to the
1: Pints and Polishing Podcast. This is the Community Pub. My name is Marshall Hill. And I'm your guide as we journey through the car care industry. You can find me on most platforms at Total Auto Solutions, or if you're on TikTok, find me at Detail Supply App. Best way to get in touch, though, shoot me a text direct, 918-800-1188. Tonight for the community pub, I am going to do my best to enjoy an Oklahoma hard seltzer from Coop L Works called Will & Willie as I continue through drinking seltzers i couldn't be more happy to have a special guest on tonight uh jason kilmore i wore this shirt just for you you might not recognize it but i don't what is it uh this is australia Jalisco. and uh the last time you and i hung out for a brief moment i ran into you down uh in vegas uh with steve and we were down on fremont street that's right
2: yeah you're right right. absolutely
1: Right after we got done hanging out, cause it was just random, right? Like walked was. over was just, like Yeah, we just <laughs>
2: happened to cross cross paths.
1: Yeah. Right afterwards I walk over to uh one of those little grocery stores that we always like to go to in there and they got mm-hmm. the cheap beer going up and down Fremont Street. Yeah. And uh and grabbed a, a Australia Jalisco and took a picture of it and uh they liked it so much they pushed it out on their social media and then sent us some uh, memorabilia and uh this was one of the shirts that they sent so that's awesome like, you know what that happened literally right after you and i hung out for a brief moment so i was like i want to wear that tonight
2: that's so funny uh, a funny story that night after you left we uh we got wasted like <laughs> we barely got back to the hotel <laughs> but that's what happens on Fremont street. Yep.
1: Uh, if Ben, uh, if Ben was here, if he was on tonight, Ben was there with us that time. And he did the same thing, man. He got, I mean, he got toasted. We ended up doing that, uh, that big, whatever that big, uh,
2: yeah. The, the, the trolley slide deal.
1: Yeah. But before we did that, we got more drinks and he decided to grab a bottle of, uh, of red wine okay and starts chugging red wine as we're going up to that Not big a good uh, idea. giant overslide we get off of it and he's puking all over everything it was oh, it was amazing and then wow. he just took off we didn't know where he went we had to go run down and find him
2: <laughs> yeah people uh end up missing uh on fremont street
1: <laughs> i could see why i could see why uh so jason give us a brief background man uh who are you where are you from
2: uh Talk to us about who you are. Sure. Uh, Nickname's the Sandman. I mean, my nickname's been the Sandman for probably eight, eight, nine years. Uh, Been sanding high-end cars. Now I'm doing a lot of teaching, uh, traveling the country. We started a uh, a more in-depth class called Gloss University with uh, David Patterson. Uh, I'm going to explore that this next year. Just a lot of different things going on. Uh, I've been doing, uh, working on a couple of show cars since March, back and forth between all my travels and uh, just involved in the industry, worked with uh, most everybody and uh, enjoy working with uh, different people and different manufacturers. Cool. Yeah. Dave, Dave came on a
1: couple of weeks ago. We had, uh, we had them on. It was good to meet him yeah. and uh, is uh, Chris, right? Yeah. Chris. Dave yeah. And Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, I yeah, really started. enjoyed
1: that discussion with them. It was cool to meet them. Nice to Yeah,
2: Yeah, I mean, I've known Dave since uh, almost 10 years. Uh, when he started at Lake Country, he called me up and said, hey, uh, this is, he had started and made the HDO line uh, of pads, which is probably their most successful line of pads they have in their whole lineup. And I was uh, one of the testers uh, on that project.
1: All right. So what what got you the nickname uh sandman because i think of it and of course everybody knows the song right inner yeah. sandman yeah might be a little bit before most of their time right like yeah uh inner sandman but when it came out and back in uh in those times with that type of music when it exploded it was it was the hit
2: it was yeah yeah
1: uh
2: it's actually my partner uh it was between Corey caruth and air Knox, my biz partner kicks K. they were like you're the sandman. You, you sand, I mean, at that time in my career, I was sanding um, pretty much every day. So I don't do as nearly as I used to, but it seems since COVID, um, when COVID hit, I was actually up in Canada doing a class. I got across the border and uh, everybody locally was calling me up and said, hey, you can sand a car because I know you're not traveling. <laughs> so they kind of caught me there. So I've been, uh, the last year, year and a half, I've been sanding probably more cars than I have been the last probably 10 or 12 years.
1: What got you into sanding? Why sanding?
2: You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a funny story, but, you know, it, it goes back to my disability. Um, only having one use of one arm. Um, you know, I started out doing body work and paint but I had a uh, difficulty doing that, but with, with wet sanding, you use one hand. Not a problem. I can do that. Now, when it came to buffing, um, how the rotary spins in the right, towards the right, it was hard to control the rotary buffer, so that was the really, the hard part, um, but yeah, I, I started sanding clearly because of that, because it's something I could do uh, with one hand.
1: What got you into detailing and into i mean what was your initial did you were you working somewhere else did you decide how old were you all that stuff
2: i started detailing uh probably ninth tenth grade um i was always into hot rods always into cars i'd go to car shows with my dad ever since since i was four years old and it really was if you remember the show home improvement uh, they, they built a 46 ford on the set and one issue of rod custom their 46 ford with tim allen and the way they took the shot it was so shiny and i'm like i want to learn how to make those cards super shiny well yeah. you know that that was literally the start of my uh journey of making super shiny paint and how you do that is you take a piece of sandpaper and a sanding block and you sand it flat, and then you buff out the scratches from there. So that literally was the start of my sanding career. And I was probably 16, 17 years old. From watching
1: uh, Tim the Tool Man Taylor.
2: Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah.
1: Uh, so what was your first car that you worked on?
2: Uh, the first full car I worked on was a 1936 Ford. Uh, it was started by Chip Foose. And uh, the owner sadly passed away that Chip was working with, and so the car was bought locally. And we, uh, I did it uh, uh, locally, and it was the first car I wet sanded with 600 grit. And we had about 325 hours in that car, just just on sanding, just from the clear coat, because I. I used to prep all the paint parts and pieces too. So we're not talking just the outside. We're talking parts and pieces underneath the car where we put it on a rotisserie, flip the car upside down. We sand the floor, the underside of the floor pans, the rear end, inside doors, um, nuts, bolts, um, everything that has paint on it gets sanded and polished. And just did the first one and you were hooked. Yeah. Yeah. And then the second one and third one and fourth one. And, you know, the first Pebble Beach Best of Show win. And then the first Riddler car, uh, you know, we won Pebble Beach uh, Best of Show and we won Riddler, which is basically the Pebble Beach of the hot rod circuit the same year. Um, so, you know, and I'm the only detailer that I know that have, has done that. Um, so I've been very, very blessed and worked with some amazing people that are very talented that have taught me a little bit of what they know. And I've, my, what I know now is just a combination of everybody that I've worked with.
1: Uh, What got you into starting your own line of
2: the the sticks? The sticks. We started making sanding blocks because I was home with my son. He was born and my wife was a full-time hairdresser stylist and so I'm like, what can I do in my living room when he's sleeping or watching TV? So we slowly started making sanding blocks in my kitchen.
1: Dude, I love that. Uh, Derek can remember plenty of the videos from years ago. I mean, the whole brand of what I started was here in my in my yeah. house. Uh, yeah. The the launch of the chemical business in 2010 was started out of my garage. Yeah. Um, the the idea of trying to go into a national brand was spent at night after working all day and trying to sell chemicals and clean cars and, you know, keep rolling. And then everything I could find at night to do and spend time, I, I would do that, man. So much respect for you, you also doing that. What was what was some of those early uh, early hangups that happened?
2: Oh, geez. Uh, you name it, I've done it. I mean, I've burnt through on uh, the first eight years, my nickname was Bernie. Um, and the reason why is because I have no depth perception in my left eye. So if I'm buffing this way, I can't see where the edges are. So I had to train myself with a good friend of mine. I said, "Dude, f- you know, take a video of me buffing. We need to figure out why I'm burning edges. What am I doing wrong?" Because no one really took the time and said, "Hey, w- you know, we need to figure out why you're burning edges." Um, and we figured a, a way that I could control the buffer, and then also how I can position my my viewpoint where I wasn't burning edges nearly as much. Okay. So it's a really, I, I detail a, a very unique style with, with my disabilities. And that's why I'm able to teach so well. And that's why people like it, because I teach at a very simplistic level. So... I mean, I I can actually teach kids how to sand and buff. I mean, we've done that before. We did a program with uh, some younger kids in Boise, Idaho. And, you know, I stuck some 800 grit and the youngest kid there was, I think, 10 years old. So, you know, teaching, you know, showing those kids how to do that. So it's pretty cool. So I want to go back to your sticks for a second Um, because you said that you
1: started out of your house what makes them unique? What, uh, why, like, uh, what, what is it that you specialize with the sticks beyond, uh, what sure. other sticks sure. are?
2: So when we were doing show cars, um, you want to cut it as flat as possible from the, the filler on up. Well, we use different types of metals, acrylics, plastics, that sort of thing. Well, in the detail world, basically it was just a foam block. So I was thinking, how can I combine the best of both worlds? So I put an acrylic piece on a piece of foam that I actually found at Hobby Lobby. Um, and then we stuck it together and that was the beginning of the sanding block.
1: Okay, well, why, the, why the acrylic part?
2: What, what is it that, that does? Sure, Well, well, the acrylic, if you think about it from this, if you put your hand on an acrylic piece that doesn't move or doesn't flex, if you go over a section and you can feel variances in that surface, you can feel it through your hand. It's a tactile fill, And so what the foam does is it allows you to give a little bit of cushion. So if you're doing an average everyday car, you, you're not, you don't want to cut it as flat as you do a show car. So the acrylic allows you to feel what you're feeling through the foam it gives you that really crisp feel. If you actually close your eyes and you, you actually put your hand on a desk, you can actually feel the variances in the, either the glass or the wood grain. And once you start to feel that, you can maneuver the sanding block in, in these different shapes and different areas that you're trying to sand on a vehicle.
1: Interesting, interesting. Uh, I, I wondered, I've always wondered, right. Like, cause I, I've not been a, a huge sander, right. Uh, spot sand, uh, somebody, you know, get a key mark or a, a, a buff mark that, you know, maybe they hit a pole or, you know, just that normal stuff, you know, spot sand and, uh, and go. So I've never fully dove as heavy as most go into sanding. So it's, it is very, uh, interesting for me. I've never understood, what the uh, differences between the
2: different blocks were. Yeah. And that's really what it is. And, and the more you sand, and that's why we really came up with the RID sticks was how can we give a good quality sanding block to someone, an individual like a detailer that doesn't really have a background in body shop and paint where they just have a small scratch, you know, when I say sand to improve and not remove. So that's why we created the RID stick. And the ridstick literally was cutoffs that I had made from the big blocks that I would put in a box. And I would put, I would give a couple away if you would, if you'd buy a kit. And so Aaron came up with the name RID stick which was an acronym that actually Mike Phillips came with years ago. Um, random isolated deep scratch. And hence, that's how the RID stick came about was really was my cutoffs that I made at home. So I I don't throw anything away. I I don't, I don't throw anything away. I use milk jugs and, you know, so like your chemical, if I don't want to, you know, take out the five gallon jug, I just dump your chemicals into a milk jug and then just so it's easy access
1: yeah derek i think you that's how kind of a lot of how that's you started right
3: exactly what i do i i don't i don't if i don't have a five gallon drum i i pour the whole thing in like a 30 ounce bottle and i just saved like i had an original 30 yeah. ounce that marty had when he first started because yeah. i just keep filling it up i was like i'm not throwing it out i'm just
2: gonna keep reusing it exactly and then I'll,
3: I'll mix my gallon
2: there you go yeah i mean that's how that's how i grew up i mean i grew up fairly i wouldn't say poor but you know i was one of eight kids and uh we didn't have a lot growing up so you just use what you have and that's where that's what's that where did you grow up um locally uh in the seattle area i'm about um about 30 miles south of the airport so i've been here my whole life um you know i travel a lot now but i mean this is this is home for me so
1: uh so i i had I've been to Seattle twice. My actual yeah. uh, introduction into uh, craft breweries, my first craft beer uh, started there in Seattle. Yeah. We, uh, I like to smoke cigars, and I was walking around up there in Seattle. We couldn't find a place to smoke a cigar, yeah. um, but everybody was walking around smoking weed. So it was it was the craziest thing for us yeah. guys from Oklahoma, because this was, geez, like 2000 and probably like 12 I think it was 2012 i was up there first and uh we finally found a patio where this guy led us he said but if anybody complained once about smoking cigars we were gonna get kicked out well the lady came over took our order on special was harlot's harvest and uh i you know my buddy grabbed one i tried it and got addicted um it uh it's a pumpkin ale and it's still what i say is my favorite uh Pumpkin, it's still my favorite beer because it's just that immediate first taste. I, it just, it's memorable. Uh, I went back the next year, uh, and went over to the brewery, um, there at uh, uh Pike's Place. Mm-hmm. And then what is that market? Yep, Pike Place. Yep, and, okay. yep. yep. So it's around the corner from there. And uh, went back and got a shirt. Uh, it just, that's that's my favorite beer. And, and those are my memories of Seattle. I, uh great uh fish of course right yeah. like uh and I mean, love, right there on the
2: water so
1: yeah. in that market there's a little russian bakery mm-hmm. um that you could get this lobster something Kanache or something lobster but it's that bread and then they got lobster and stuff inside yeah yeah, hmm. yeah there's
2: a lot of tradition in seattle um microbreweries is one um of course with you know the marijuana and the cbd that's massive here just like it is in colorado i mean it was Colorado first with the microbreweries, and then kind of Seattle. So, I mean, that's what we're known for. So, you know, it, it's you know, people like to drink and get high. <laughs> you know, and that. that's just uh, how it is here.
1: Oklahoma's become that way too. We're the fastest growing medical marijuana of, uh, industry in the world.
2: Yeah, pretty soon. I mean, I think all the states are going to be going that way um, because they do make a lot of money. I mean, it's it's highly taxed, uh, you know, and the states do make a, a good chunk of change off of it. So
1: speaking of tax, I got sent a thing with the uh, not to go political by any means, but I guess the new bill coming out, uh, part of the way they're going to justify all the money that they've been passing out is a 35 cent tax increase per gallon of gasoline.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Gasoline in Seattle right now is I uh, just filled 35. up
1: my
2: truck. Is $4.10. We have the highest tax in the nation. I think it's like 80, 80 cents or 90 cents of it's actually taxed. Wow. So what do you do? <laughs> you know? You fill right you, ra- you just raise prices like everybody else does. I mean, that's that's the name of the game.
1: Yeah. Let's jump around real quick and see uh, see what everybody's drinking. Uh, Alex, you're up at the top. Uh, I know it's that good old trusty, probably.
4: I, I just got a uh, peach iced tea.
1: <laughs> well, peach is a little different. You, you kind of like peach a lot of times, though, right? Is there yeah, a reason not- for it? You know, the image of the peach? <laughs> that's what you like? I, I
4: haven't asked, man.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Peaches and cake, man. I fucking, oh, I can't get enough.
1: So, uh, Alex, I know you've got a uh, special story for Derek about how you had to pick out pebbles from your knees, and you were going <laughs> to ask for a. Minute.
4: Oh no! The the next day, I was I was coding a Jaguar, and I like I kneeled down on the same fucking pebble twice,
5: oh. like, direct,
4: directly in the center of the kneecap on like a very smooth concrete floor.
1: Oh, so yeah. so the joke is because last week I was I was pretty uh, pretty down with with covid and we should have hit record i don't know why i didn't yeah we should have had a really stuff. good time of just chopping it up and i i was in and out of consciousness i think but uh <laughs> <laughs> We're like, where's Marty? Well, like, but i remember the, the part it, about Marty's knee pads like,
4: can i shut it off now?
1: yeah at the end <laughs> i was like guys i'm done but but there was a funny part about knee pads, and uh, Derek busts out his knee pads, and, of course, uh, everybody's drinking beer. What do, you, what do you do when you got knee pads on, Derek? That's what we really want to know.
3: And that's honestly the only reason I never got them. It's like I always want to be like, you walk into a place, they're like, what are you doing with those knee pads, sir? Like, why are you wearing those knee pads all day? And you got a compound all over your shirt and stuff and your pants, and people are like, I know what you're doing with those knee pads. And I'm like, no, no, they're from my knees, I swear. like,
1: You know. <laughs> As long as there's not too much of a spooge over your shoulder, I guess.
3: <laughs> I'm actually, not going to lie, Over the, I, when I did that BMW this weekend, I was going to take a picture because my other shirt had some, some compound all over here. And I was going to take a picture because I did not have my knee pads that weekend. And I was this like, oh, I
1: can't see.
4: I'm, I'm this left handed, so it would have ended up on your right shoulder.
1: <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> well, Derek, what are you drinking tonight?
3: So I'm, I I went to the- Besides a, extra protein. A little extra protein. But no, there's a, there's a brewery that's real close to me called uh, Jersey Cyclo, and they have crawlers you can get made. And I got this one called, uh, they only have it there. You can't get it in cans yet. It's called a Golden Hour. It's a blood orange IPA. Hmm. It I, I didn't think it was going to be good, but I tried it there, and I was like, please, sir, give me a can. This is very good. But nice. I think the way that they do it is like if the more people buy crawlers, the, they may like make a four packs you can buy in the store. So I'm like trying to get people to buy it so they can make it in the store. So I can just go to the local liquor store and get it because it's good.
1: All right. All right. Uh, Brandon, how's the week been?
6: Been going good. Um, and I actually, I was pumped. My neighbor came back from his son's brewery. So I I ordered, like, $90 of uh, the OJ on parole. But (laughs) tonight, I'm trying. It's double dry hop, acquitted of double hop hop aside.
3: Whoa. It's a double dry
6: hop version of it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a hell of a name. It's pretty crazy. It tastes (laughs) really good. That's hazy, hazy. Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) Almost looks like an Orange Julius, like a, a Milky did you guys ever drink is Orange Julius? Was that a thing up in the Northeast?
2: Yeah. In the Northwest, it's huge. It was. So yeah. we used to drink it all the time.
1: Yeah, that was a treat for us. I'm I'm like you, Jason. We we grew up with it. We weren't poor, but we, you know, we were way lower uh, in that middle class, if not, you know, upper lower class, right? I mean, we had enough to survive, but, you know, my dad had, uh, I think I was in about eighth grade. Yeah, I think it was the eighth grade. He quit his job and started his own business. So, (laughs) uh, you know, rough go for quite a few years. Uh, he got into the financial, uh, services business because I guess the company he was working for, uh, um, got bought by IBM and then they wanted to move us to Detroit. And he was like, "No, I'm not, I'm not moving to Detroit. So he started, uh, his first business and only business. And then most of the time I knew him, uh, you know, he was working at night too, because just to try and keep everybody fed and, you know, food. I didn't know. This is a crazy story for me. I didn't know later until life that they never went into any of my, uh, my sporting events. Hmm. They, they would drop me off at the gate. And I remember they would always tell me, yeah, we'll be in there in a little bit. Uh, but they never would pay to go get in. And they would just sit in the car and they didn't tell me till later in life. All along, they would tell me how great I was. And I, I never knew that they didn't even watch me. <laughs> like <laughs> it's crazy. Jeez. Such is life, such as life. Yeah. Well uh all right, uh we need to do a little favor, a little favor, please. Uh everybody clear your throats <clears> throat> and uh let's go. Happy birthday to I'm uh, not you. the only one singing. Oh, uh oh. It's Brandon's birthday. Birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday, Brandon. How
6: old are you? 35. I'm old enough to forget. I had to ask uh, my wife today how old I'm getting. I forgot. <laughs> 35. It's a good year. It's a good year.
0: Happy birthday, man.
3: Happy birthday, Thanks. man.
0: Thanks, guys. Cody, how's everything with you? What are you sipping on tonight? <sighs> Things are great, man. Busy as hell. Uh, but tonight, it just so happens, it is uh, the day to try my beer that I brewed. Uh Nice. So we're trying that and I just popped it open before you started going around. It's definitely an IPA, but I, I don't know, it's a little more carbonated than I would like. Um, any suggestions on that or why maybe that would have happened?
1: Yeah. Did you put in, did you do tablets for carbonation or did you do the sugar into the firm? What? How'd you do your carbonation? I did like a
0: honey water, simple sugar mixture and like, mix that in with the wort before yeah technically the beer at that point before you bottled it yeah and it's been two weeks today pretty much so
1: it it might have just been a little bit heavy on the amount of syrup because the carbonation is caused by the yeast eating the sugars yeah and releasing the gas and so you know if you got less sugar that's just going to produce less carbonation so it might have just been a little bit too much sugar
0: yeah i need to like let it get a little more flat <laughs> opened up or something then it'll be really good but it's just the carbonation's a little overwhelming for a yeah. beer
1: now i i messed up plenty of things with too much carbonation uh, it, it pisses you off because you you open it and it just it's spewing everything out and then it rolls over <laughs> yeah. and you yeah. think well maybe i've got some beer left and then you you get down you got really about that much but then if you had any trub at the bottom it's all in that mixture and so the whole beer is just toasted
0: yeah. Is that what that's called at the bottom? I got some shit at the bottom there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's called trub. So yeah. When you, well, typically on home brews, you don't, you don't drink straight from the bottle. You usually pour and then, and you do a slow pour and then you leave like the last, you know, eighth of the bottle and you don't drink it because in case you didn't get it filtered well enough when you're, when you're bottling, that's what's called the trub and that's down there at the bottom.
0: Cool. Well, I appreciate the info. i Definitely use a glass in the next one that I drink, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. But it's good, though. I'm, I'm happy with how it turned out for the first time.
1: Uh, and definitely if you pour it in a glass, it'll help some of that carbonation. It won't be too over the top for you.
0: Might have to go grab one.
1: Yeah, definitely. But so it turned out flavor-wise, turned out good?
0: Yeah, it tastes like an IPA. It's what's called the Warrior Double IPA, I guess. It's supposed to be around, like, 7% did you
1: do that's what i was going to ask did you i never i never got that far like you could do those gravity readings and then figure out what the uh what the alcohol by volume did you get that far into
0: it i didn't they i'm just going off what the kit said it was supposed to turn out like so it could be off but i don't know it's all in your head
1: yeah yeah as long as it tastes good right
0: yeah definitely
1: all right cooking with nick uh i did quesadillas uh what'd you do
5: Ah, we're going to try and make shrimp lo mein.
1: All right, talk to
5: us. Never done that before. Uh, I've had it like once or twice in my life. I'm just shooting from the hip here, and we're going to see what happens. And it's probably going to be pretty good. Asian dishes are are pretty easy, pretty easy to throw together just at random. So we're going to see what happens. We're going to saute some onions, peppers, noodles, pasta, throw it together, and yeah. Then you say Let's shrimp. See what yeah, shrimp Louisiana man. How are you gonna do the shrimp? so a skillet with the. Uh, yeah, honestly, just sauteed in the skillet,
3: real simple. Nick, Nick, Nick I, Nick, I had a question. Yes. Are are you are you the guy the kind of guy that gets the the shrimp all together, or do you get them with the tails and everything off? I get them.
5: So okay. Oh man. What a question. Okay, yeah, there's three ways you can get your shrimp. There's three ways you can get your shrimp. You can get it, like, peeled, you know, cooked or ready to cook, you know, peeled and deveined and everything. I'm not that kind of person. That, that's too easy. Those are usually – I'll say they're not quite as good, honestly. I get the shrimp that are peeled and deveined but with the tail on. Mm. You can also get shrimp that are, that are not peeled or deveined and have the tail on. Those have the most flavor. If you're gonna do like a like a shrimp boil or something, yeah, throw those in there. I don't have the the patience to sit there and just like tear little fingers off a of shrimp for an hour. So I yeah. just buy the ones with tail on, and I take the tail off when I go to cook, and that's that. Uh,
1: and how do you know, Nick? This is a fun fun one. I, I think I learned it from uh, what's that dude that yells at people on Hell's Kitchen? Gordon, Gordon Ramsay. Ram-
3: Gordon Ramsay, yeah.
5: My How boy. do you know
1: when the shrimp's done?
5: It's practice. You, you got to cook it a few times and fuck it up a few times, honestly. You got to mess it up a few times and then and then get it right a few times. And you just know. It, it's a timing thing and a texture thing. When it's all the way white and it has a, uh, some orange on it, you're pretty much good. If yeah. it feels really, like, really tough, you overdid it.
1: And what I think I remember him saying, which I found to be true, too, is when that tail really starts to curl.
5: Yep, yep. It'll it'll curl up, especially depending on like how hot you're cooking it. Like if you're cooking it on a grill with an open flame, it's gonna shrivel up real tiny, but it's gonna get a nice char to it. It won't. Do, it's easier to gauge on a skillet, honestly.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Next. Brandon, man, uh, Brandon from Tim's, are you you sipping on anything good tonight?
7: I just water at this point. Um, I had some uh, pineapple wheat beer earlier. But Ooh. switched up to water. Yep.
1: Yeah, talk it to us about L- that pineapple. L- wheat.
7: low low tide brewery, I believe it was called. I don't know where there's from, but it was super good. Oh, and it was Brent. how'd you get the beer? Um, there's a place here in Greenville. It's uh, what do you call it when they got like 20 different beers on tap, like a community tap room or whatever. And you, you went and got a what do you a, a growler to go. It was you know, it's super good. It was right where I sent you that picture of that cheesesteak yesterday. It was right beside that place.
1: Yeah, that cheesesteak looked pretty phenomenal.
7: Yeah, and no, it was really good.
1: Oh. Uh, do you do sanding? Do, have you, uh, as a mobile, or have you gotten into much sanding?
7: Oh, I mean, we do a lot of sanding on headlights when you're doing those, but uh, I, mean, I try to stay away from it when I, you know, for the most part, but, you know, sometimes you have to, you know, get up scratch out or you know chasing some texture or something
1: yeah uh, I'm with you and that's what we were talking about a little bit earlier I, it's kind of a lot of what I did Jason when, when you've got your classes and the different stuff that you guys are teaching what, what do you find for mobile detailers that's kind of some of the the best suggestions for you know for doing that texture and doing some sanding
2: yeah um, my views changed a lot I, I know that I'm I'm vastly different than most detailers because I I learned from the body shop and paint, so you know I understand primer and what to look for and all that. But to answer your question as simple as I can, detailers really need to stick around 1,500, 2,000, 3,000. That's kind of the the go-to. Um, make about 10 passes and buff it out, and that's about all you're going to do now on OEMs. Um, if you're chasing something um like on a show car or a hot rod or something like that you can obviously do a little bit more but oem you you really want to stick uh sand less and uh and don't sand too much because we don't really have that much material to work with and then you also got to take in consideration the uv uh protection On what you know, how much we're sanding because we're we're greatly reducing that protection. Um, So it really depends on where the scratch is and uh, what what type of car it is.
1: What uh, sandpaper do you recommend?
2: Doesn't matter. I've used the cheapest, the cheap and most expensive, but I mean I will recommend our sandpaper that we just came out with. (laughs) No, it's 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 really good stuff. Um, It's very similar to the Trizac so it's really 3M just, right yeah but ours isn't a 3M it's actually our own brand um the trizac material is what I kind of consider standing for dummies because you have that interface and so that that gives you it's just not a piece of sandpaper so if you put too much pressure on your block or your sandpaper that 1500 grit scratch is now going to become a thousand or uh, 800 or, you know, depending on how heavy your pressure is.
1: Cool. Uh, Brandon from Shawshank, um, what type of sanding do you get into questions you want to toss around?
6: Yeah, I do. I have been doing a lot of sanding since I started. I, I started with dealerships doing scratch repair. So I sanded from the beginning and then as I got into high end cars, I did more paint corrections with sandings, uh but you mentioned uv protection i was always told um when you're sanding especially headlights especially but when you're sanding paint isn't 70 percent of the uv protection on the top layer is that
2: wrong no it's yeah it's it's how it works is what, when something is sprayed there's there's called tail solvents and when the solvents escape they come to the top of the clear okay more than 50% or 70%, like you said, of those solvents that come to the top and stay there, that's your protection right there. So back in 2001, 2002, we had Jason, hold on one second.
1: What do you mean, what do you say, the solvents that come to the top, that's what gives the
2: protection? That's part of the protection. Yeah. The coating too. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. And, and the, the ceramic clears that were on the Mercedes. So that ceramic was only like two microns on the top. So if you buff too much back then, which we didn't know, I didn't know, which I did. You take that ceramic layer off the clear. <laughs> so that nice ceramic layer of clear coat that you had on your 2002 Mercedes that you buffed too much. Now, you now it's gone. Thank you. So now, I mean, with that being said, I've sanded an awful lot in OEMs. Um, I haven't had an issue, but I also live in the Northwest. If, if we lived in Florida or Arizona or, you know, Louisiana or a, a Southern state, that UV protection is going to even be more critical because of the the, the massive UV um, that the, the, the cars see down there. Uh, So protection is super important. It doesn't matter what form, as long as you have some form of protection.
6: Yeah, I even help uh, because I do still do dealership work. I'll help body shops. They'll call me and help me for me to help finish down and they got deep sand marks. And sometimes there's like a mill left and I'll explain. You can't really go much further on this. Like it's got to be
2: re-sprayed, but Yeah, it's a roll of the dice. I mean, there's times where I've sanded and I shouldn't have sanded. And there was times that I felt, you know, a little gutsy that day and and sanded, you know, way more and I got it out. But I mean, it's it's a roll of the dice.
6: Could I ask one more question?
2: Yeah, go ahead. Um,
6: Another tip I was always told is to find out the farthest you can go is to measure the inside of the door because they put the, like, almost the least amount of paint on it and then that's kind of your threshold is that yeah yes
2: right? and no yes and no um the way the manufacturers spray cars now it's either hit or miss i mean you can use that as a gauge but uh, let, let's let's just take this for a scenario okay you sand a scratch most of the time there's a scratch there there's a high spot and a low spot because it's been impacted so if you're sanding a low spot that sanding block is hitting the high spot at the same time. So, if if your clear measures good and you burn through, it's because you literally rode on that high spot and you just rubbed it off because it's higher than the low spot is. Same thing with polishing. If you polish a dent or around a surrounding area or an edge of a door, that door naturally curves up because it's stamped why do people burn through on edges? Because they're riding over, they're hitting the high spot, but what they're trying to do is actually hit the low spot. So they're riding over that high spot and they're buffing through because they have a high spot. So it's really reading the panel where your high spots are and where your low spots are and really addressing that. When I buff I don't go in straight lines. I buff like I was to sand. So I'm gonna come across at an angle like a lowered car on a speed bump. So that's how I polish now. So I polish in an X pattern. To try to, you know, if we do have a thin, you know, 80s Porsche where it's, we don't have much paint on, on those top ridges, I sand at an angle to try to, try to not run into those areas.
6: I'll have to try to polish that way. I haven't done that, but that's, I actually X
2: and crosshatch when I sand. Yeah. So, yeah. so po- polish like, polish like you would sand that spot or that area. And that, that's going to help out a lot. You have to change your body mechanics about it and, and the way your eye sees it, but you're, you're going to be more prone to, uh, uh, you know, getting the scratch out instead of uh, making a mistake.
1: Derek, uh, do you do sanding other than headlights?
3: Um, mostly just headlights, but I have done a couple of uh like spot um like spot repairs like that where I had like people had like the door like um door dings, or I had a couple of people that had like weird transfer marks that would be in the side of the paint and uh you try to buff on them and nothing. So I would um the only the only question I had is um I, I I've always looked at the like the sanding sticks, but have you? What's your take on like wet sanding versus dry sanding? Because I've sanding. seen I've seen both, and I've had a, I've I was watching a couple of videos where guys were talking about dry sanding versus wet sanding. I've yes. only done wet sand. I've never done dry. I've never always been terrified to do dry sanding personally, sure. but I've definitely done wet sand a couple of times.
2: So so dry sanding is it. It has some advantages because. If you sand it, you can see it. You don't have that white slurry of that water, right? But the downside to it is it can be a more aggressive because it is dry. So oh. it's it, it's essentially residue management. So as we're sanding, we need to get rid of those residuals. So with dry sanding, you have to blow it away or wipe it away with a terry cloth towel to get rid of the residuals. Well. When you're dry sanding, the tendency is to just go fast and get it done, right? Typically, that's how they DA sand is dry, right? Yeah. So that's where the, it, all that clear builds up. And then as it builds up, you're just trailing it around and around and around. And that's how you, uh, you increase your chance of pigtails. So by wet sanding, you're getting rid of that residual in the water slurry.
3: Oh, so the, yeah, the water, the water's pulling the the clear, the extra clear. clear coat off. Okay, exactly. okay,
2: exactly. Or even on your headlights, you know, if you're trying to, uh, if the UV protection's gone on the headlights, you might as well just sand it all off because it's it's not there anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, you just sand really aggressively until it starts that yellow starts to become a white clear slurry. That's yeah. when you know you're past the UV protection on the headlight. Now you're just sanding uh, the raw polycarbon headlight,
3: and at that point, well, uh, you're supposed to. Time I've heard people putting the um, they actually spray like clear on it after that point, or
2: you you to kind can, of re-clear the headlights, yeah, yeah, you can, but once you go past that original factory UV protection, you're on the downhill slope. So yeah. you can only slow it down, um, but you're not going to stop it once it's raw uh, uh, polycarbon acrylic. And actually, Todd Helm's customer up in Calgary was uh, the inventor of the plastic headlight.
3: Whoa. He actually,
2: Yeah, he has a. What my understanding is, he gets a chunk of change out of every headlight that's ever been made. Oh
1: God! Yeah. Alex, uh, good to see you on. What uh, What type of sanding do you do? Do you do a lot of? Uh... Spot sanding, do you do full uh full sandings? You get into headlights? And, um,
5: oh.
4: Headlights kind of here and there, but can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I forgot. Okay. I we have Alex up there and then Alex down here. Oh my, my yeah, I didn't realize
4: he got up. <laughs> <on. laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I headlights maybe, but uh like Kilmer said on my podcast, uh soon or maybe very we'll soon to it.
2: I'll yeah. just come down to Florida and we'll yeah. send the whole car. And then yeah, I'll exactly. leave and then you have to buff it. Yeah. You know, Marty, and that's another thing. Sanding's not the hard part. It's buffing out your scratches so it doesn't look like you sanded it. Yeah, that's the tough part. That's the tough part because anyone can sand. It's getting your scratches out so it doesn't look like you've sanded it. So it doesn't look like a tiger got loose on your panel. Because Lord knows we've, <laughs> we've done a lot of classes and it looks, some people, it looks like a tiger got loose on their panels. So what causes that? Pressure, too much pressure or, you know, the angle of it or something like that. So it's very minute. So when I sand, I'm literally hydroplaning the block across the surface. I'm letting the contact patch of the block and the fresh sandpaper do the work. I'm just guiding it. So Uh it's like it's like coating a car when that microfiber or that suede comes across the surface and makes contact, you're laying a patch of, you know, of ceramic down. You're not putting a lot of pressure on it. Sanding is the same exact way.
1: So, Jason, we got one of your biggest fans. Uh, He, you know, he was sending me goo goo eye messages earlier that you were going to be on.
2: Hey, what's going on?
8: What's up?
1: Not much.
2: (laughs) Oh, Google eyes. I just got
8: out of the shower. I'm nice and clean.
2: Yeah, nice. He cleaned <laughs> up just for me.
8: <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm still getting digs, dude. I'm still getting digs. Yeah. Yeah. Just
2: practice. Practice. Yeah, I, I, I practice
8: a lot, dude. <laughs> I'm just heavy handed. Well,
1: you, you mentioned uh, when you were on that you use the case uh, the sticks that Kilmer has.
8: Yeah, I, I use everything Kilmer has except for my custom blocks. He still has not made me.
2: i'll put you on the list again
8: (laughs) put you on the list again
1: talk talk to us paul uh, why do you use them what do you love about them
8: uh i mean they're just i mean they've been thought out by so they're you know they're well they're well made they hold up you know they don't deteriorate um a lot of blocks you know deteriorate in your hand of course you know uh, a lot you know the only blocks I really had before then was just the motor guard stuff and the, um, and the McGuire's and 3M. So, I mean, those are generally usually soft blocks. If not, then the harder blocks were always really big, um, you know, for body shops. So, you know, until he came along and started making a more focused block, we really didn't have anything. So the focus isn't there, you know, you're, you're able to, to, to hone in the focus in one area.
1: Why is
2: that important? Uh, uh, look, you, you look at it from, we're not sanding panels, we're sanding shapes. So if you look at a panel, especially a newer car, if let's, let's take a fender, okay? We may have 20 different sections or shapes in that panel. So if we don't have a block that hits 100% of contact patch, that area, or lack thereof, is either not going to get sanded or sanded too much. Just like you're coating a panel with an applicator. If that applicator is not touching or touching too much, you're putting too much coating down or not enough coating. Where sanding sanding the exact, exact same process, washing a car, uh, cleaning your interior. If you're not making contact patch, you're not cleaning it, and you're not polishing it, you're not protecting it. It's, it's all about that contact patch
1: interesting uh, Alex uh, not Russell um, do you stand on boats is that a, is that a thing because you do a lot of boats right yeah I do I, I do most of my standing on
4: boats um, but I do like isolated scratches and I do a lot of headlights and stuff too on cars I try not to go too crazy if I don't I try to avoid it if possible It seems like a lot of people in the in the Facebook groups, as of like the last month, I've been like all about, hey, what should I start to sand this? I, I don't know why everybody wants to sand all of a sudden. I tried
2: to avoid it. Because I made it popular. <laughs> <laughs> it's really all because of me because no one else sanded before I was around. And there was a lot, there's a lot of negative feedback. And so what I've been trying to do lately is, is, is my saying is sand to improve, not remove. Is with an OEM car and you know, what, you know, not show cars, but OEM stuff, you know, sand to improve that scratch so it makes your buff out easy. Because by sanding, you have complete control. By buffing it, you're, you're inducing heat. Heat is bad for paint. So we're, we're trying to control that removal of that scratch by, by having more control. And sanding is done correctly is a way to control that scratch.
1: Is there differences main differences between sanding of course going to be between sanding clear coat and gel coat so what are what are some of those differences what should somebody on a boat be looking out for
2: uh gel coat is much thicker it's much more porous so it's going to sand completely differently now it'll sand especially if it's an old gel coat it'll be hard and crusty so oh,
8: you, you gotta may have to
2: make top more top top passes top off. or cut loose or do, you know, heavier grits to get the same effect as if it was a new a new boat with, you know, newer gel coat.
1: Okay. Uh, Derek, Brandon, anybody want to ask questions? Anything else to, on your mind?
8: I think I've asked him every question underneath the sun. So I if I ask him a question, he might hang up.
2: <laughs> yeah, Paul spent three days with us in uh, Spring Green, so he asked a lot of questions there.
8: Yeah, I'm fulfilled. I'm fulfilled. Yeah. I got my Jason. I got my Jason fix.
1: Paul, did you go up to the university? The class?
8: Uh yeah, I was uh yeah, one of their one of their first classes that they did. Um the first
2: class. Yeah, that was the first yeah. class.
8: We did. Yeah, oh okay. And uh it was fantastic, but you know, it was right in the middle of COVID, so things were really kind of crazy at the time and it was really just a good release to hang out with all those dudes and you know, everybody was everybody had the same goal. So it was um it was really good. A lot of real talented detailers. A lot of talent was
1: there. Paul, I got, I got to ask this question because I find it fascinating. You, you've been sanding for how many years?
8: Uh, I've been sanding it mostly the right way for the past couple of years um, and, and uh, the wrong way for probably 20 years prior to that.
1: <laughs> yeah, see, that's what I was saying. I mean, been sanding for so many years. Um, yeah. yeah. Why yeah. go to this is kind of a, a, a moment to plug because it's just ironic, right? Like it, you've been 20 something years. And then you go learn sanding and you've already been doing it for so long. Like, so plug the university. Why was it so important for you to go? And what <clears throat> you said that you used to do it wrong and now you do it right. Uh, what does that mean? It, it
8: gives you a platform um, because beforehand you're, you're sanding out of, you know, obviously I had plenty of painters um, to give me and, and some other really good sand guys that are not well known out there, but they're well known in the concourse uh, you know, circuit. But the, um, <clears throat> you know, the whole idea was to get it flat, right? You know, to get the paint flat and it wasn't to, like Jason's honing in on is just improvement, you know, um, and his flat's a different kind of flat, mm-hmm. um, you know, stages of sanding, you know, whereas we would try to sand everything in maybe one or two stages, he might go three, four, five, six. And uh, it's just a well, a more focused. And also you, you kind of know what you have to do to get the scratch pattern out. Whereas before I was just kind of standing blind. So yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, and we also picked up some pretty cool uh, tools while we were there too. This texture light that one of the gentlemen came with has um, been real positive for me uh helps to get through panels a little bit quicker
1: cool paul well thanks for hopping on man uh i know you, yep, said you gotta get rolling uh uh-huh. good to see you uh glad you, uh, you are to take a shower you heard today. telling the
8: mom <laughs> I was like, i'm only gonna be on for just about five minutes <laughs> all right jason it's good seeing you later thank you
2: yes sir bye-bye
1: jason he was talking about you go through a bunch of different stages
2: what what does he mean uh we usually start at 600 uh, 600, 800,000, 1,200, 15, 2, 25, 3, 5, 8. So like one car I did, I spent 60 hours on one panel. And we sand it until it's right, until I'm happy with it. So this Suburban I've been working on since March, uh, went to a car show last weekend, it was out in the heat. The heat causes the paint to shrink down faster. So now I have to go tomorrow and start sanding it again, the whole thing again. It, it's, a, it's a level that most people, especially detailers, have never been around. Um, it's nothing new to Body Shop guys, but to detailers, it's kind of like they don't, they don't quite understand it. It's, it's, a, different, it's a different level. And it's not to say that each level is bad or good. It's just I've been on both sides of it. And I understand what the detailer sees and needs to get out. And I understand what the body shop sees. So I'm kind of a a high-end hybrid of both. And that's what makes me extremely unique is I understand it. And I've helped out on both levels from a manufacturing standpoint, from helping products, you know, being developed to you know i have guys the top guys in the industry on both sides when they have a problem they call me so when we're talking the top tier guys they're like hey i got a problem yeah i have the same problem too let's and that's why gloss university was created to take both sides the most smartest people in the whole in these industries put our heads together and say okay is it even possible to have perfect paint and if it's not, how close can we get it? So it's really understanding everything from the very basics to the very advanced parts of it and understanding everything in between. So it's a combined effort of a lot of smart people. Sounds like it, but sounds like you're
1: the uh, the main front-run header of it all.
2: <laughs> I try. You know, yeah. and it, it, it's, you know, it's like... You know that same thing can go towards cleaners. You know, what's the best interior cleaner? What what is an interior cleaner meant to do? Yeah, exactly. What I mean, we just used that last week on a half a million dollar Camaro. We use it all the time. I love it. Um, but with that being said, most people don't understand what they're working with. They don't understand chemicals. They don't understand agitation. They don't understand pH. There's a lot of little simple things that are, are, are in this industry, but with the way the marketing is, is it gets lost in translation with marketing and YouTube and what products to go. And so it's very confusing. And even the training courses out there, everybody's training now. And it, it's, it's just very, very confusing to the new, um, the new detailers out there. I, I really feel bad for them. And I get phone calls and messages all the time of just detailers being completely confused and not knowing where to go.
1: You mentioned a lot of trainings. Yeah. Uh, as people that have listened to the podcast or any over the past couple of years, I've been very harsh on trainings mm-hmm. um, for that reason, because you really don't know who's teaching you and how much they're actually going to teach you. Yeah. Um actually we talked last week about how in one episode I told the guy he was a scam artist because of what he was charging and, and what the value coming out of trainings were yeah. we recommend and have for years recommended people go see actual detailers, actual people in the industry I've recommended in the past when you were working with Steve and, and now with you know, moving over to, to what you're doing now Yeah. We'll we'll recommend that all day long um, because you get actual uh, training from somebody that wasn't right. Like some trainers are, Hey, I used to be in a shop 20 years ago. Yeah. Well the practicality over the past 20 years, they've been working for brands and haven't been still in the actual industry pushing. Um, So I, we always recommend people go see uh, anybody such as yourself in these type of classes. So Where does people, somebody, if they want to look up the university, how do they get in touch?
2: Where do they go? Sure. Glossuniversity.com is our website. Um, You can also message me directly on Instagram is the best way to get a hold of me Um, or David Patterson uh, or through Oberk or something like that, or even Aaron Knox, you know, my biz partner, KXK. So, you know, I've been fortunate. I've worked with everybody. Um, all the top names in the industry I've worked with. <laughs> I'm the only one that's worked with everybody. So I, I'm I'm kind of the bridge of everything. And, and KXK is really that um, same idea um, by detailers for detailers. We're all three detailers. And we just want to better the industry. Um, you know, and so many people want us to get into a certain brand. And I support the industry. I, I don't I don't support one brand. I mean, I have my favorites, but it's really my skill set and my processes and procedure where I can use any pretty much anything and make it work. Uh, That doesn't mean I I don't have my personal favorites, but I try not to let that get in the way of my training is is I want to teach process and procedure and you need to understand from a student aspect, what are you trying to gain out of a class. Because you're not going to be me, you're not going to be the Sandman. You don't want to be the Sandman. (laughs) We just want you to be improved and understand why you're sanding, Because you need to sand and you need to polish with a purpose and a knowledge. If you don't have that purpose and knowledge, it's not worth doing. So practice and practice and practice and practice and practice. Michael Jordan didn't become Michael Jordan without practicing. So I, I, I preach those things and I leave the manufacturer side out of it. In fact, we work with all manufacturers. We, we have been and I've been working with all manufacturers since the very beginning. Um, and I've been blessed to work with so many talented people. Um, I don't agree with everybody and I don't agree with some of the uh, processes and procedures out there. But I also don't let that affect me on a personal level
1: what are some red flags or some big cautions that people should look out for when they see other trainings?
2: Sure. Um, it's very simple. Um, and even to take advice from detailers, pick a detailer, pick a training program that has a good track record. So I have a good solid track record for over 22 years, super solid. And that's, you, you need to watch out for people that are basically trying to grab your money. You know, I've been detailing for two years and now I'm training. Okay. And there's a lot, unfortunately, there's a lot of those because detailers, they, they see it as easy money. So well, they, that's there's so
1: many brands that be, suddenly became these training facilities or they, you know, they've rented a trainer or they, you know, they've brought in people to train for them. That I mean that that's what we've said that because it is so much money. Right? You did. got brands now building out training facilities because it's so lucrative to just teach them some stuff and charge astronomical amounts of money.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know and and you know I say you know, I've told some people that haven't been ready yet, watch my videos online and practice for six months to a year. Call me and we'll talk about it and see if you're even ready because that's the last thing I want is someone to waste their money. I want everyone to feel like they got their money's worth and now they see detailing or they see scratches or they see correction at a different level. Now they can rewrite their their uh, websites and they can they can have a clear head and they can go about it realistically because realistically you make your money in the quickies your, your paint enhancements and your coatings i mean why can't we just code a car you know and you know so you can't who said that you have to have a hundred percent paint correction what does that even mean because the average person doesn't see what we see. So, I mean, there's all kinds of gray areas. And I know why it's it's there, and you know why it's there. It's because of money. That's what it all boils down to. But that doesn't benefit the customer. And that's that's my whole take on it. And I know that's your take on it too. Yeah, uh Brandon from Shawshank. As you go
1: hybrid, in a sense, between body shop to detailing, what, what what's Sandy mean for you? Because I think it's a bit more heavy for you because of your background than maybe an average detailer.
6: Yeah, it depends on the customer. Because, of course, a dealership car, a body shop, and just going to a client's house, it's going to be different with all of them. I have some clients that don't see half the stuff I see, then I have some clients that have as good an eye as I do and sees every imperfection. Or if I go to a body shop, sometimes I'm not even doing the sanding. I'm trying to get their sanding out and trying to repair it. And then at the dealership, I'm trying to get scratches out, texture, just trying to make the the car more more attractive to the client so it's easier to buy. Um, but well, could could I ask a question of Jason?
5: Yeah,
6: of course. Yeah. Uh Jason, you mentioned you mentioned your a hybrid, just like we were just talking about. You're a hybrid between body shop and detailer. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you'd have some insight on you mentioned you know, sanding to buff out. Mm-hmm. Well, I've noticed some paints like GM black, Porsche mm-hmm. Black, uh that new Nardo gray looking with Audi Volkswagen. Yeah. Um Sometimes, no matter how you sand like you usually do, it's extremely hard to get those sand marks out and you take quite some time. Is there anything other than the softer hardness of that
2: paint that's causing that? No, it's just how it's how the paint reacts to sanding. All paint is different. Um, Paint is a living, breathing thing. It will change from day to day, hour to hour, temperature, moisture, sunlight it actually moves and it breathes that's what it's meant to do that's why when you get hit with a baseball bat that paint still conforms to the body panel so it's meant to do all these things but with that being said being so flexible and hard and brittle all at the same time when you're sanding it does exactly that on some of these paints it takes that 3000 grit scratch and it makes it like a 15 grit where it's deep. And you're like, wait a second, it's a fresh piece of paper, I applied no pressure, and now I have these deep sand scratches to deal with. So that's all not necessarily paint hardness, but it's just how the that particular paint responds. And also it all depends on the panel because paint responds differently if it's a plastic part, if it's a carbon fiber part, if it's a Kevlar, if it's an aluminum, that paint reacts differently to that substrate. That substrate tells you exactly what it's going to be and what what it's not going to be. The substrate is everything. You you know how you get on a bumper and the paint reacts completely differently than it does on the quarter panel because it's aluminum or steel? Yeah, It's completely differently. And that's because of the substrate. And even the color is different. Even though, and you think about that, the bumpers are resprayed usually in Mexico or Canada. Yeah. That's why they never match. If you look at a Toyota truck, the beds are painted in Mexico. That's why. See, and it's, it's all these things that the average detailer doesn't understand because they don't know the background. I have been very fortunate that I know all the background on all this stuff. That's why I deal with it and I see it at a different level because I'm not looking at it from a detailer standpoint. I'm looking as it reverse backwards as how it was manufactured.
6: That's a, that, I didn't realize it was painted somewhere else. I assume so, but when I explain to the customer, because the touch up yeah. will match the metal better than the bumper every time.
5: Yeah.
6: And I'll explain it that the primer is actually different, which is true,
2: it's just painted somewhere else. But. And what most people don't understand is the clear coat's different too. So, on a main body the metal body when it's baked it's baked at 325 to 400 degrees okay when your car gets beat up and it goes to the body shop that clear coat that they're buying is only meant to be baked at 140 to 160. so it's a completely different clear coat and most people don't know that either in fact a lot of the beamers back in the early nineties to mid nineties were actually powder coat.
6: So I didn't realize paint was like that. So it's like a lot like coatings. Coatings have different coatings have
2: different heat yeah. thresholds. I didn't well, and, and Exactly. The, the, the paint manufacturers, PPG, doesn't consider them a paint company. They're a coating company. So think of it as, a, so detailers actually have it all backwards. <laughs> That's why my trainings are different. Thank you. That's awesome knowledge. Thank you. Marty's trying to figure it out right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like I said, <laughs> man, I don't do. not do i have just never really been into it. Just never has been a thing. I, I've been fascinated that people would. I, I don't know if I could add to sit there long enough to go through that much work, and I think that's what fascinates me. Like. I, I think my enjoyment of detailing is to be able to go through section by section go through a process get instant gratification uh, sanding it, it just there's there's no instant gratification you've got to really be devoted to be there for a, like you said 20 hours on a single panel like I, I just don't think I could mentally do it
2: No, but there is some, you know, for for the detailers that have sand or deep scratch that you didn't think was going to come out, there's no better gratification than getting a deep scratch out of the customer going, holy crap. Yeah. or they go, holy crap, you just burnt through my panel, which I've been on that (laughs) side too. Um, You know, so, I mean, it's just, you just got to do it, have a smile on your face and have fun. But the ultimate level of paint correction is sanding. Because sanding does things that, you know, correcting from a compound polish cannot do because it does it at a different level. Um, It's still correcting, but you're getting surface refinement instead of scratch refinement. You're actually changing the texture, you're changing the surface tension of this on the surface, so the light reflects differently if it's a little bit, even if it's a little bit flatter. And you look at these new cars like a Dodge Challenger, you have a lot of um, uh, kind of, it, it looks like a layer of crust over the surface. Well, if you buff it hard enough with a microfiber pad and a good compound, you can kind of get rid of that crust and get some more clarity. But the ultimate clarity is actually sanding. And you can actually do that pretty quickly. We, me and Steve actually sanded a Porsche in 45 minutes with 3,000 grit.
1: So, so do you, let me, this is a different
2: rabbit. Do you still working with Steve? Is that relationship dissolved? No, no, he, he moved another 20 or minutes or 30 minutes away. So he's like two hours away from me now. So he, I mean, he, he doesn't need me uh, at all. It was just convenient at the time, you know, and, and we do do trainings together and we do cars together. It's just not as often. Because the economy has been hit pretty hard here, so it, I mean, we were we were banging cars out. We were doing two to three cars a day by ourselves. So it's just not that anymore. So it, once it gets back to that level, then yeah, we'll we'll be we'll be banging stuff out together.
1: You mentioned the economy's been tough up there, so I guess that level of work—just um, what is it that people just don't want to pay for it? Is that is that the issue, or yeah, is it people it just, just don't is- have the income
2: anymore? No, it's, it's not bad. It's just, I think the average customer is just tightening their belts, but on the custom side of things, the restorations, they're going through the roof. Yeah. I mean, I could be as busy as I want to be traveling the country because everybody's busy building cars or or doing restorations because the richer are getting richer (laughs) by a lot. So that's not the problem at all. And that's, so again, I've, that's why it's nice to be multifaceted. When I was detailing back in the day, I would detail up to November. I would stop detailing in November and then get ready for a car show season from November to March or April. So I was doing show cars um, in the winter when detailing was slow.
1: Okay. Nice. All right, Derek, I think it's time. So, uh, Jason, I don't know if you've ever been at the bar, uh, when it closes down. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's ever been in your uh, forte.
2: Nope. I've always been sleeping by then.
1: <laughs> well, those of us that, uh, that, that make it to the end, there's usually a drunk guy at the end of the bar that asked a random question. And, uh, that guy is Derek with DJ D detailing. He is our community pub tab out question of the night.
3: All right, guys. Uh, here we go. So I want you guys to think back to your, uh when you first met your wife, significant other, or if you're not in a relationship, just think back in the day. Rosie. You go to that party and uh, it's the first time you're meeting the parents. And uh, you walk in, the mom or dad hands you the aux cable to the speaker because it's back in the day. And they go, hey, or put on your favorite song. What's the first song you're playing?
1: Ooh. Jeez, what kind of party is it?
3: Oh, uh, you know, just like a family party. You know, and uh, you're meeting the parents for the first time.
1: Hmm. Well, that's a tough one. Anybody got a got an early answer?
3: So I, I have one, All and right. um, my wife's gonna hate me, but uh, we're playing at the wedding. I don't care what she says. So I've always liked Daft Punk. One more time. I don't know why, but. It was one of my favorite songs. One of the only albums. I think it was on uh, homework. I think was the album. All the way through. Like, I'd put that on anytime.
1: Uh, I mean, the first one that came to my mind, because I just thought it'd be funny, would be something like uh, Baby Got Back. You know, something that's exactly like old what school.
3: <laughs>
5: that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> no, no.
1: But that's no. why then I tried to think serious. And I was like, oh, hell, I have no idea serious-wise what I would put on. Like. Jeez,
4: yeah. I'm not. A, I'm not a very serious guy unless I have to be. So,
1: so what's your answer, Alex?
4: That, that's it, man. That's the only song that came to mind.
1: Baby got back.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got that.
1: All right, mm-hmm. Dave. Cool. Uh, Dave has made his journey from his. Uh, grab him some food, and he's back at his office. Dave, if you uh, if you're gonna play a song for your your wife's family to meet him the first time, what song are you playing? Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, man, it's a tough one. I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking Frank Zappa's Broken Hearts are for assholes.
1: (laughs) I don't know that song.
4: I'm looking it up right
1: now. Yeah, 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 Hold on, look
4: at this up. I I have a way of uh, trying to offend on the first date. (laughs) At least they get it out of the way so they don't have too high of expectations. That's right. It's, That's it's right. like it's just like detailing. You set the expectations for the client.
0: <laughs> like you know right. you knew I
4: was this way. You can't get mad at me now.
0: Hey, does it have to be a uh, like old song or can it be a new song? Ah, it's open open to hey, interpretation. Oh, open, open, yeah. I don't know. It would take me too long to think about one, but just like a yellow funny like song. That came to mind would be "Mo Bamba" by Shaq West, and get everyone in the house jumping.
1: (laughs) Okay, I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah,
6: Brandon from Shawshank. At first, I was thinking funny, like you guys. I was thinking "Get Low" or something by Ludacris, (laughs) Uh, but (laughs) it it have to be. I just love music. There's so many songs I like, but it'd probably be some kind of punk or metal song or it'd be like, I love Logic. I love hip hop. Probably like Logic every day. I don't know if you ever heard that. It's a really good song.
1: I I haven't. Logic, he's one of those guys that moved over. Was he was a Christian artist and then moved over to regular. Or is he still both or what's his story?
6: Uh, I think you're thinking about F and he's really good too. Okay. Um, But yeah, Logic is just, he's... If you like 90s hip-hop or you like Wu-Tang or any of that, you'll like Logic.
1: Okay. Uh, big question. I want to know, since uh, you were doing a, a rock-out session the other day, this sound. Oh, really yeah. good. Uh, would you be able to play uh, Mr. Inner Sandman for Kilmore?
6: <laughs> I'm sure I can learn it for him, yeah.
1: Learn it? Oh, so you don't know it? Oh, I man.
6: don't. I don't know that song, no.
1: Oh, you don't know it at all? Never heard it?
6: Oh, I, I know the song very oh, well. It's like, it's never played it. Everyone's anymore. heard that song. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Well, we, we did a training once, and I came in the room, and someone started playing it out loud, <laughs> like a wrestler coming into the ring. It's the lights <laughs> and the smoke—you're like, "Oh no!" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> here I go. Yeah, I I've been um, I've been recognized in the airports four times. That's kind of scary, like. I'm just a detailer. Some guy I flew in from Alabama, I was in Denver as my connecting. And this kid was a detailer in Colorado. He didn't even know he was who he was sitting next to. <laughs> so I, I come out of the bathroom and I have my KXK backpack on. And he's like, Jason Kilmer. And I, I turn around and he's like, oh my God, it's you. So I let him talk the whole time. I said, hey, you know you're sitting right next to me on the plane he's like oh my god i'm glad he didn't know who i was because he would talk to me the whole time but yeah it's i've been uh i had a tsa agent tap me on the shoulder and yeah that was kind of sketchy but yeah it happens i've been recognized at the courthouse a couple times yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) what about the happy house massage (laughs) My my girl owns the
4: base spa, so. <laughs>
1: hey, stop by for a little happy ending. Yep. <laughs> good call. Good call, Kilmer. What was it like when the TSA agent tapped you on the shoulder? What what went through mind? That was a little
2: spook. I actually were come back from uh, We were in Big Bear with Rennie Doyle, and uh, he saw my Ray Company shirt on, and uh, we you know we just done the one wing challenge, and uh, he's like. One wing challenge, and I I automatically turn around because you know that's just what I do, and and he was like, oh my god, and he he spooked me. So I had my backpack on, and he tapped me on the shoulder again and he goes, hey bro, w- w- what are you waiting for? I'll come get it. I'll go get it for you. Super fan, I guess, right? And I said, actually, my backpack, and I it startled me so much that I had my backpack on my shoulder. <laughs> He's like, hey, bro, it's on your back. I'm like, oh, okay. It's been a long weekend. So I turn around, walk to my gate, and he's tapping his buddy, his other TSA buddy. And he's like, you know who that was? was Jason Kilmer is one of the best detailers in the world. And, like, he's talking loud. And I'm like, oh, my God, here we go. Like. (laughs) That's hilarious. So, like, when I go to SEMA, I, I barely get in the door. Because I'm approached by hot rodders and car builders. And then I go the detailing side, and I'm approached by detailers. I mean, I I get questions, you know, when we're in my, in the bathroom. Like one year, four people, like I was at the urinal and they, they like surrounded me. I'm like, hey, can we talk outside of the, <laughs> of the restroom? Did any so, of
1: them have knee pads on?
2: Uh yeah, sometimes, yeah, yeah. They probably should. <laughs> oh, it's
3: good for the knees.
2: Good. Yeah, night. people are. Uh, for the I mean, I, I, you know, I guess it's a compliment, but uh, sometimes it's a little overwhelming. So, oh, but it's good. It's all good.
1: All right, let's see if Nick Grooms is still here. Would love to know how that pasta turned out. What, what did it turn out with Nick? Uh oh. We can't hear you. You're on
3: mute. Nick, you mute you're muted.
5: You got some good timing, man. I'm not gonna lie.
1: All right, talk to us. Mm.
5: Basically, saute some onion, shrimp, bell peppers, and some some generic sauces, soy sauce, oyster sauce, oyster a sauce, little butter, red pepper, a um, little lemon juice, a little sesame seed on top, and uh, chives. Mm. Basically, throw that all together, um, add it on top of some rice ramen, and honestly, this is what you get.
1: Wow, it you looks delicious. dress it in the
5: right order. It is
1: quite good. Looks better than my quesadilla. There. I know that. <laughs> Nicely done, man. Nicely You're done. Good job, Nick.
5: With some uh, lemon tequila on top. Mm.
1: Good call. All right, Jason. Uh, we're gonna close it out. I'd love for you to uh just share your closing thoughts on anything sanding, anything training, anything you wanna talk about, uh, you know, and definitely remind people where to go to uh, look you up and and how to to get in touch with about the training. But any last closing thoughts? uh, I want to give you the floor.
2: Yeah. Um, Man, treat every day as your last day because you you never know who you're going to meet or who you're going to affect in a positive or negative level. So just think about life as, as that just be positive and do the very best you can do. And, at the end of the day, as long as you've done your very best, that's all you can do. Like and, you, man. Yeah, I like it, man. I don't think people, A, they don't try very hard, especially in today's age and society, and they don't treat people like they want to be treated. So, if you do those two things, and you even screw up, the screw up is going to be a lot less as if you're a jerk, and you, you, you just you're just a jerk. So, you know, you can be super talented, but if you're a jerk, then you're a jerk. (laughs) So don't be a jerk.
1: (laughs) Nice. And uh, where do people find you on social? Where do people connect to uh, get in touch with you about your trainings?
2: Sure. The best way to to, uh, get in touch with me directly is Instagram, Jason Kilmer. Um, And then the trainings are, uh, you can, we can either do a a personal one-on-one training, or if you want to do a group setting with uh, Gloss University, it's glossuniversity.com. It's myself, David Patterson, and uh, whoever we choose that class, but usually they're all high-end guys, um, and get a hold of us on that uh, platform. The next scheduled class was going to be November, but that got postponed. So it's looking like the first uh, class will be the next year in January at the Red Company in Boise, Idaho. And then we'll be doing Ring Brothers hopefully in the spring, either August or, or uh, April or uh, probably April or late March. Cool, man. But if anyone's interested in doing one-on-one classes, whether it's at their shop or coming out to Seattle, feel free to uh, shoot me a message and we can uh, we can help you out. Nice.
1: Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate all the cool info. It definitely, nice as you pleasure. saw, I was uh, absorbing it all in and, and uh, it's, it's pretty fascinating. So thanks for sharing yeah. everything, man. Yeah.
2: Th- thanks for having me on and uh, Thank you, man. always here to help.
1: Where where do people find the one last thing? Uh, if they want to get the, the sticks and the sandpaper, how do they get in touch with you on that? Where do they go?
2: Yeah, there's uh we have a whole host of uh, uh, distributors. We actually don't sell direct. But we have distributors from coast to coast and anywhere in between. So, uh, and Marty, if you want to become a distributor, we can we can always hook you up with that too. So, appreciate yeah, that. Appreciate yeah. that.
1: Uh, okay. So, where do I mean, is there a locator? Is there a website or? Yeah, our
2: website, Cakes K Dynamics, has all of our list of our distributors online. So, on our webpage.
1: Cool. All right, man. It was in the web.
2: Thanks so much. Appreciate
1: you coming on. And, uh, here's to community guys. Thanks so much. We'll see you uh, next week. Dave missed you for the past couple of weeks. So glad to see you back on, uh, Brandon from Shawshank. Hopefully next week we can get a, uh, a nice inner Sandman as we, uh, (laughs) intro in, uh, speaking of next week, uh, it's going to be a very fun episode. So Ryobi will be launching their uh, dual action polisher and has sent out samples to me and Nick. And uh, we will have Ryobi on next week to the community pub to talk about their new battery operated dual action polisher. So uh, that's going to be a fun week next week having Ryobi on. Uh, Derek, good to see a good question. And uh, uh, Cody, hopefully uh, we can see the beer again next week. Uh, hopefully,
0: uh, yeah, yeah, if it's uh, not all gone. you're just gonna drink it all huh? there was only nine bottles uh and i'm actually going camping this weekend so i'll probably let a lot of other people try it and i don't know we'll see
1: yeah it'll be gone
0: (laughs) see if i can address this carbonation issue
1: yeah it'll be gone well soon you'll get another one going yes definitely all right nick good to see you uh Everybody have a great week. Thanks for everybody hopping on. And Jason, thanks again for all your time, man.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it.
3: Thank you. That's
1: a good one. Thank you. you Thanks for listening to that episode. And if you got any value out of it, Hey, go share it. Go let people know what you heard on the pints of polishing podcast. And listen, If you want to leave us a review we would love that you know five star one star hey whatever you think we deserve if you would leave us a review greatly appreciate that and thank you so much for being a part of community